following message is by Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Morning, everyone, and uh, Happy New Year. Uh, 2022 has finally arrived. Um, we are going to get back into our Sermon on the Mount series in, in, in uh, January, which we kind of halted for this Advent series. Um, but as I do every year, I kind of give a, a, a New Year charge to the church, and that's what I want to do today. Um, why don't we open up in a word of prayer as we look to God's word? Father, we thank you that we have the privilege of beginning this new year in an act of worship together as a, as a congregational family. And we um, pray as we uh, invite in a new year, uh, both individually and as uh, a community, as a church, that you would do a work in our hearts to um, be able to fully embrace everything that you have for us in this coming year. We acknowledge that even in that prayer, there is much unknown about how this year is going to unfold for us. But give us a heart of faith to just trust in you, even in the great uncertainties that we're experiencing in these moments right now. Um, be with those uh, who are sick, who have fallen sick, and struggling in uh, various ways, whether because of COVID or for other reasons. We pray that your faithfulness would be extended to them in your healing touch. So we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, it's kind of interesting to me. Uh, a couple years back, even going earlier than that, uh, among pastors, there was a fair amount of buzz uh, in the years that were leading up to 2020. And uh, why there was buzz was because leaders were saying that 2020 was going to be a godsend for launching major ministry initiatives or casting a new vision for your church. And it was all about playing off of this kind of pun on 2020 vision, you know. And so among my pastor friends, we would sort of ask each other, uh, are you planning a 2020 vision campaign launch to take advantage of the fact that it's going to be the year 2020. And then the much-anticipated 2020 arrived. And this is what we got. <laughs> a global viral pandemic. And all of the pastors quietly put away their 2020 vision campaigns. And no one was expecting it and no one wanted it. But the modified 2020 vision campaign for every church, I think, globally became shelter in place, socially distanced, and basically just try to make it through this year. There's this old Yiddish saying, man plans and God laughs. Um... I mentioned in last year's New, Year, New Year's message how Google has an almost godlike vantage point in our world. 
because they get to see what the world searches for on the internet. And because they're able to see that search history, they know what we're thinking and what we're feeling at any given moment. And what's so interesting to me is that for years now, Google has compiled that data and made a year-in-review video at the end of every year based on the most popular searches that year. And it's been a tradition of mine to show you those videos for each New Year's message that I preached. Um, and these videos are historically very moving and inspiring uh, reminders of all of the amazing events and people that populated the last year. And so you're often left after watching these videos thinking, wow, what an amazing world we live in. What an awesome time to be alive. But these last couple of years have been much more somber and they've been totally dominated by this cloud that is cast over the whole world because of COVID-19. In fact, last year I didn't even show you the Google video. Before I go into today's message, though, I thought I would actually show you the 2021 year in review video that Google put together based on what was searched most on their search engine. So before I go further, let's actually watch that together and then we'll go on. Now, when this pandemic started, the staff was thinking that we were be under this mask restriction for a couple of weeks. <laughs> We thought a few months at the most. We have these weekly staff notes for our staff meetings. And on the title of those staff notes, I just began to add a little footnote that wrote the week we were in for these COVID restrictions. And I thought that that would just be a little blip. We would do that for a few weeks just so that we would know, oh, that was during COVID. This week... <laughs> marks week number 95 in our staff notes that says COVID restrictions. We're in week number 95 of doing church with some kind of restriction because of the pandemic. It's hard to believe that we're headed to the two-year mark now with this emergence of Omicron. There's still no end in sight for this pandemic, is there? I mean, just a couple weeks ago, the sanctuary was filled. And it just feels like as much as we take a step forward, we end up two steps back. And it's now a half-empty sanctuary again. And I want to ask, how has this past year been for you? Because when 2020 ended, Everyone was saying, good riddance. Let's hope 2021 is better. And I'm not sure most of us feel like 2021 was a whole lot better. And the record numbers of anxiety and depression and other mental health issues reveals how hard a year it's been for many of us. If you look at the data on pastors, it's actually really bleak. I spared you a lot of the other statistics, but just two of them that I would highlight to you is that 70% of pastors have struggled with depression. 40 to 50% of pastors have confessed that they feel so discouraged right now 
that they would leave ministry right this moment if they could find another job and a way to support their family. Because ministry has been so hard under COVID. And for me personally, it's been hard. And it's not just the pandemic, but other events that have really weighed down my heart in these past few years. In particular, all of the pastoral failure that has happened in churches everywhere. Most of us are aware of the celebrity pastors that have made the headlines with their scandals. Bill Hybels and James McDonald, Ravi Zacharias. But there have been other pastoral failures that have hit a lot closer to home for me because they are people that I know personally, people that I once worked with and did ministry together with. And it's been a very difficult season of questioning the people and the movements that have shaped my faith. And in evaluating the traditions and the cultures that have formed me, I am wrestling with what is it that I need to hold on to? And what is it that I need to discard? The first Sunday of every year, I ask God to give me a theme for the church for that year. And last year, I felt very strongly convicted to ask you, in light of that prayer, to join me in praying the Lord's Prayer. I believe it was a practice that God wanted us as a church to enter into together. This year, the message that God has laid on my heart to share with you as a theme for 2022 is simply this. To live wisely, we need to look to the past and the future. But neither is a healthy place for us to dwell. To live by faith is to live in this present moment. This is the message that God has burdened my heart for me personally for 2022 and to share with you as a church. I think particularly when we go through tough times, there is a tendency to escape the present by either dwelling in the past or fixating on the future. And as I was preparing this message and thinking about my own life, I was really struck by this sobering truth that I actually spend so little time in the present. I know it's strange to say it like that because how can you not live in the present? Well, yeah, obviously bodily, we're always in the present, but I'm talking about where my mind is, where my heart is. And what I have personally discovered is that I actually spend very little time in the present. I actually think I spend the vast majority of my time either in the past or looking to the future. But I'm not really there in today, in this moment. And I think that is really true when we're going through hard times, like all of us are because of this pandemic. For the message today, I'm just going to break it down into three very simple parts. I want to begin by first looking at the problem of being imprisoned by the past. And then secondly, I'll say a brief word about the problem of fixating on the future. And then lastly, we'll finish by looking at what it means to live by faith in the present. And so let's begin. As I said a moment ago, 
to live wisely in the present, we do have to look at our past. Winston Churchill famously wrote, those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. There is, in other words, a healthy and appropriate way to look at our past. But I would argue that there are also unhealthy ways that we can get stuck in our past so that it imprisons us. I think some of us live in the past because we romanticize it as the good old days. And we'll never be happy until we can get those days back. Those were the golden years. Those were the happy times of my life. You know, it's interesting, after years of warning through his prophets, God's judgment finally came on the people of Israel. And Jerusalem was conquered by the Babylonians, and the temple was burned to the ground. And for 70 years, the Israelites experienced exile in Babylon, And when they finally were able to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, the priest Ezra describes the scene that took place at the dedication, at the laying of the foundation of the temple. In Ezra chapter 3, verse 11 to 13, with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. So these younger people who were born in exile and had never been to Jerusalem before, they are shouting shouts of joy and excitement because this temple that they only had heard about in stories was now being rebuilt right before their very eyes. But the elderly wept aloud because when they saw the dimensions of this new foundation, This new temple looked like a joke to them compared with the glory of Solomon's temple that they had seen with their own eyes when they were kids before they were deported to Babylon. Addressing the disappointment of those who wept when they saw the new temple, God spoke to them through the prophet Haggai, chapter 2, starting in verse 2. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory. How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the seas and the dry land. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The glory of this 
present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant place, peace, declares the Lord Almighty. You see, by living in the past, the older Israelites were utterly deflated and blinded to what God was doing in that moment. They couldn't share in the joy of the younger people who were celebrating their freedom from exile and God's faithfulness in allowing a new temple to be built where the old one had been destroyed. In other words, living in the past led them to totally underestimate what God was about to do. Through, though, though this second temple was not nearly as physically impressive as Solomon's temple. It would be the building where Jesus, the Son of God himself, would arrive and enter and declare to the people of God that the glory of God had once again entered into the presence of his people in the form of his only Son. And they had no hope for any of this because they were stuck in the glory of the past. It's interesting, but some of us are imprisoned by the past, not because we romanticize it as the good old days, but because we blame the past for all the bad things that we're experiencing in the present. It's the exact opposite. And this was the Jewish mindset of how they understood the past. For everything bad that I am experiencing right now, something happened in the past that is to blame for this. In John chapter 9, verse 1 through 3, speaking of Jesus leaving the temple, and as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus' disciples wanted to know the cause for why this man was blind. It's interesting that they don't even question that it has to be somebody's sin that caused the blindness. Their only concern was, was it this guy's own sin or was it his parents that messed up and led to this curse? And I'll, I've said it a couple times already, and I'll say it again. Sometimes we need to dig into our past to understand our present. That's important. That's what counseling is about. But there is a danger of obsessing over our past, trying to assign blame to specific events and people for our present troubles. Or maybe it's ourselves that we cannot forgive. Stupid choices that you've made, bad decisions, and now you say, I'm paying for them for this present life. What's interesting to me is that Jesus doesn't even entertain the blame question. He just rides right over it and says, it's not about looking back to try to figure out who to blame for this. He says, the whole point of this man's blindness in my perspective, is to show my glory 
and how I'm going to heal this person and make him whole again. Jesus redirects the attention of the disciples from trying to look to the past and figure out who's to blame and instead says, look, in this present moment, the glory of God revealed through the healing of this man. I think what God is saying to us is rather than obsessing over our past, our focus needs to be on Jesus who gives us the hope of healing and restoration in the present. What I'm in essence saying to you is simply this. Celebrate the past, the good stuff, the stuff that you're nostalgic about. Celebrate it and learn from the bad stuff. Those are good things. But just don't get stuck in it. Don't get stuck in the past. What I find interesting is whether we romanticize the past as the good old days, the golden years, or we see the past to blame for all of our present problems, what they have in common is that it leads us to underestimate what God is doing in the present. And it has a way of undermining our faith, of really being blinded to what God is doing right now in the present. Well, let me talk now a bit about fixating on the future. I think others escape our present realities, not necessarily by being stuck in the past, but by fixing our eyes on the future. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 18 to 21 says this, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. Ecclesiastes paints a picture of someone who's worked so hard to secure his own legacy, hoping to find meaning in a life of being able to leave behind something that will last after his death. Some sense, at least briefly, of immortality. But he is utterly vexed by the sobering truth that he has no control over who is going to control his inheritance after he dies. And what keeps him up at night in a cold sweat is the thought that a fool may inherit his estate and destroy everything that he's worked so hard to build all of his life. Tim Chaddick, in his book Better, writes, we all write our autobiographies long before we live our lives. Sure, we make some edits and revisions along the way, but even in our youth, we quickly develop ideas of how things should go, how our lives ought to play out. This vision of our life stories helps us determine and then track our dreams, goals, and expectations. After all, we are all living for something, right? The truth is that from a young age, we all have this story in our heads 
of our lives, don't we? The way we imagine our life is going to play out. And that captures all of our hopes and dreams for our future. And these goals and dreams give us some sense of meaning and progress, assuring us that there is a greater purpose, despite all the setbacks and struggles of life. But here's the problem. Life rarely plays out according to the script that we're trying to write for it, does it? How do we make sense of our world and our life when things often feel so random and meaningless? When everything even starts to fall apart? I, I think those who fixate on the future compared with those who tend to dwell in the past, I would sort of describe more likely as problem solvers. These are people who basically have this life philosophy, if you don't like what's happening in the present, well, stop playing the victim. Take matters into your own hands and secure your own destiny. Do something about it. Make your own future. The problem, though, as the writer of Ecclesiastes, I think, rightly discovers, is that we are actually so limited in what we can control about our future. If this pandemic has taught you nothing else, I hope the one lesson we all learn is how small and helpless we are. How weak we are to change even one thing about our future. We plan and God laughs. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 27. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Like I said with looking in the past, I want to say the same thing about looking in the future. There is an appropriate and healthy consideration of the future that we all need to have. But there is also an unhealthy fixation with the future that leads to a life of worry when we try to secure our own outcomes solely through our own power. I mentioned how being stuck in the past blinds us to what God is doing in the present. And I think that same blindness happens when we try to determine the future on our own terms without giving an account to God. It's interesting that after Jesus dies and is resurrected three days later, he appears to two of his disciples who are walking to this town called Emmaus. And he hides his identity from them and he enters into this conversation with them. And in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 17, it captures the beginning of that conversation. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. 
About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. You see, these disciples were devastated by the news of Jesus' death. Because they assumed that the Messiah would come as a conquering king who would defeat their Roman occupiers and restore Israel to its former glory. They had the future all mapped out according to their own expectations. And they had made so many assumptions about what God was going to do when he sent the Messiah for the future that they imagined that they were utterly blind to understand the meaning of the cross. And here's my worry. My worry is that many of us are fixed on a vision of our future that we've determined for ourselves and that may very well get in the way of what God wants to do in our lives. Can I ask you this? Have you already written out your future and God's only role is to bless it? Or do you come to God with an open spirit and say, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life, in my world, as it is in heaven? We get to this third point about living for each day. And it's simply this, God wants us not to dwell on the past or to be fixated on the future but to live in the humble smallness and surrender of each present moment. I think that is the invitation of God for us in this year. There is a humility needed to live like this, isn't there? To fully embrace how limited we are in our own power. That humility means that we have no power to change or recreate our past. Nor do we have an ability to secure our future and worry about it. And the point the Bible makes is God is not inviting us to either of those. But what God does expect of us is to seek his help for our needs one day at a time. This is the mindset, I think, that is captured in the simple request that God asks us to pray in the Lord's Prayer for daily bread. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today what I need, God. What God is saying is quit living in the past. Quit living in the future. Live fully present in this moment today because that is where I want to meet you. I think the truth is we want God's assurance that everything is going to be okay for the rest of our life. For years to come, we want that guarantee. But God says, I cannot offer you that. What I offer to you is to meet your needs this day. This day, what you need. We don't know 
what the future holds. We don't know what trials God is going to ask us to walk through. But God says, in this day, I will meet you. And you will find me here today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 to 34. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do you hear the wisdom of Jesus speaking to us? Live a daily life and be fully present in this moment. Because this is where I want to meet you. There's a lot of talk, I'll be honest, about this idea of being fully present and, quote, being in the moment, right? And it's not just in the church. In fact, a lot of it is being spoken about in the wellness and the self-care industry. It's this idea of urging us to slow down and to smell the roses and to take in all that life has to offer. And I'll say this. This ability to enjoy every moment as a gift from God is important. But what I want to say is that the biblical view of living in the moment involves so much more than just mental wellness. Because I think what Jesus is saying is that when we are stuck in the past or anxious about the future, we're going to miss our invitation to participate in the kingdom of God that is right in front of us today. That's what Matthew 6.33 to 34 is all about. Don't live stuck in yesterday. And don't be anxious about tomorrow. Seeking God's kingdom means that we open our eyes and look at what he is doing today. In this moment, in our very lives, right before us. And I think the truth is Jesus modeled this life of being fully present in each moment better than anyone else in history. There are these larger-than-life stories in the Gospels of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead or preaching to a crowd of thousands that are nearly crushing him or feeding thousands of people with a miracle. There are those stories in the Gospels. But what I'm struck by is how much of the Gospels are filled with much quieter more intimate moments of ministry. A grieving widow burying her only son. A leper that no one wants to touch or even acknowledge. A bleeding woman. A foreigner. A blind man. And it seems like these are the stories that capture both the attention and the imagination of those who actually got to witness Jesus live his life. And it's what made him stand out compared with all the other rabbis in his time. Jesus seemed to notice what nobody else noticed. There were needs everywhere all around them, but somehow Jesus seemed to be the only one that not only recognized, but cared about them. The forgotten, the neglected, the marginalized. And so as I close out this message, one of my New Year's resolutions is to try to preach shorter. <laughs> I'm trying to, trying to do that, trying to honor that. Who are the people that God wants you to minister to in this moment that is standing right in front of you? 
that you are neglecting. Because the truth is your mind just is not there. It's in the past or it's in the future. And so bodily you're there, but in your heart you're not really there. You're not present. What are the needs that are right in front of you right now? Because I want to argue that the kingdom of God is in those spaces. And I think as I think about my own heart, there is this really deep desire for the past and a longing to get to a better future. There's something about this present moment that I just am absolutely rejecting in my life. It just feels like it's this great parenthesis. And I'm thinking like, I'm about to turn 53 in a couple weeks. And I feel like I've lost two years of my life. (laughs) And that's a big deal for me. (laughs) Because I don't know how many more I've got. But the rebuke, the gentle rebuke, the loving rebuke I've heard from God this week is those were not lost years. I've never stopped working. Trying to do ministry under these COVID restrictions is driving me absolutely crazy. I hate it. Some of you have been attending our church for over six months, and I don't know what your faces look like because I've only seen you behind a mask. It's driving me absolutely crazy. One of the things I miss most is the lunch times after service. And I would enter that fellowship hall every Sunday after preaching a message and just look around and say, for the next hour, who do I want to get to know? And it was the highlight of my week, sitting at a table and talking with you guys. All of that has been taken away from us during this COVID. And so what I realized is I am rejecting the present. And it's as if I'm saying God is not in this right now. And what God is nudging me and saying is, I am right here and I am at work in this very present moment. But you are blind to that because you are dwelling in the past or you're just fast forwarding to a future that's not even here yet. And you're missing my kingdom and the things that I want to do in you and through you in this very moment. Let's pray. 